Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spirited and spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, dedicated to being in right relationship with one another and with ourselves and with the planet. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so in the spirit of that heritage, what we do if we're watching on the live stream is we greet one another in the comments. And what we do if we are here in the room is we turn to our neighbors and welcome them here this morning. to see everyone this morning. Uh, very happy to be with you here and a warm welcome to everyone who's joining us online. Please join me as we say together the words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship today was written by Albert Schweitzer. At times, our own light goes out and is rekindled by a spark from another person. Each of us has cause to think with deep gratitude of those who have lighted the flame within us. This congregation wrote a mission statement for itself to guide its decisions as we move into the future together. We revisit it every seven years, so this one was written maybe Three years ago, it was expanded, and um, we wrote it on the wall, and we say it every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. We have a moment for beloved community after we say our mission statement, just so that we can uh, learn a little something about the culture in which we move and live and have our being. And what I want to talk about today is the eighth principle, again, because we've been talking about this proposed eighth principle of Unitarian Universalism that we are going to vote on in our May meeting. And I want to tell you the reason why we want it. Uh, Not all of us, maybe, but the reason why I would like for us to have it. (laughs) I made a little assumption there. What we are doing this Eighth Principle study for is not to increase our diversity. That's not the first goal. Because if our only goal is to increase our diversity, what that normally means is we want people of many hues in our pews as long as they're just like us. And so... What is demanded by the eighth principle and what we are demanding of ourselves in this congregation, those of us who are people of color and those of us who identify as white, we are all asking of ourselves that we become aware of the white supremacy culture in which we live. It's not a KKK culture in that sense of white supremacists. It just is a culture where everything is created and maintained in order for white identified people to have the best chance at success in our culture. 
Um, there are many books our board has been reading that give details about this. If you want to know which books, uh, the one we just finished is called The Sum of Us. And it is a depressing book. <laughs> and it does not give solutions. But we want to become, we, all of us, want to become more culturally competent so that we can appreciate and admire cultures other than the white dominant culture and so that we can become anti-racists ourselves. So the goal is not Hughes in the pews. The goal is to become a group of majority white identified people. You can just see by looking around. Um, majority white identified people and people of color who are anti-racists. We want to become anti-racists. Does that make sense? Okay. And that is a messy, muddy, long battle. I don't care if you're a person of color or if you're a white-identified person. White supremacy culture is powerful and hard to fight. And the first thing to do is become aware of it. And the second thing to do is to start talking about it and calling it out. Okay. So our goal is to become anti-racist. That's what we want. Otherwise, if we just invite a bunch of people of color to come into our largely white-identified church, we're just going to annoy the crap out of them. <laughs> and that is what we do not want to do. And I don't even know if I'm saying this right. I might be saying all the wrong things because really we don't know. It, it's hard to know what to do or what to say, but you have to keep trying. And I'll just be uh, an example of somebody who can be a moron sometimes and just, I'm sorry, ableist language, of someone who can be out of touch with reality and with my smarts sometimes and say the wrong things or try to say the right things. Good morning. If you are a kid and you'd like to come up and see the story up close, I'd like to invite you to come sit right up here on the floor with me. So we're going to read this story called The Rabbit Listened by Corey Dorfeld. One day, Taylor decided to build something, something new, something special, something amazing. Taylor was so proud. But then, out of nowhere, things came crashing down. The chicken was the first to notice. Cluck, cluck, what a shame. I'm so sorry, sorry, sorry this happened. Let's talk, talk about it. Cluck, cluck. But Taylor didn't feel like talking, so the chicken left. So the bear left. The elephant knew just what to do. Trumpada, I can fix this. Just to remember exactly the way things were. But Taylor didn't feel like remembering. So the elephant also left. One by one, 
they came. The hyena, hee-hee, let's laugh about it. The ostrich, gulp, let's hide and pretend nothing happened. The kangaroo, tisk tisk, what a mess, let's throw it all away. And the snake, shh, let's go knock down someone else's. But Taylor didn't feel like doing anything with anybody, so eventually they all left until Taylor was alone. In the quiet, Taylor didn't even notice the rabbit. But it moved closer and closer until Taylor could feel its warm body. Together, they sat in silence until Taylor said, Please stay with me. The rabbit listened. The rabbit listened as Taylor talked. The rabbit listened as Taylor shouted. The rabbit listened as Taylor remembered and laughed. The rabbit listened to Taylor's plan to hide, to throw everything away, to ruin things for someone else. Through it all, the rabbit never left. And when the time was right, the rabbit listened to Taylor's plan to build again. I can't wait, Taylor said. It's going to be amazing. Our reading today is from Pema Chodron. Being fully present isn't something that happens once and then you have achieved it. It's being awake to the ebb and flow and movement and creation of life. Being alive to the process of life itself. Now let us enter together into an attitude of prayer and meditation where we speak or listen to God as we understand God, or where we listen to our inner wisdom spring up from deep inside, or where we just watch our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. Let us enter into what Emerson called the wise silence together. Little baby noises count as part of the silence. We open our hearts this morning. We open our hearts to those who are rejoicing. We're glad for them. We open our hearts to those who are sorrowing. We sorrow with them. We open our hearts, hard as it might be, to those who are suffering in war. The wars we hear about and the wars we are not hearing about. It is our responsibility both to decrease the suffering that we can, that we can reach, and to increase the joy that we can reach. 
We give thanks for our lives. May it be so. You are now invited as we continue in an attitude of meditation to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope or remembrance or determination.
one of the things that you have to do in order to become a minister is something called clinical pastoral education, or CPE. It's always a lot of emotional work as well as a lot of physical work because you're being a chaplain in a prison or a hospital. My CPE work was at Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C., and I was responsible for a women's cancer ward and a men's bay ward for injuries, mostly um, motorcycle accidents and green berets and uh, people whose parachutes had not opened correctly. And I was 22. So uh, we had two teachers, two trainers, and the first day that we were there, they handed out these white coats with the word chaplain on the pocket. And we put them on with fear and trembling and some excitement and waited for the training. (laughs) And they said, okay, go. And we said, wait, what? (laughs) Oh, you have to tell us what to do. And they said, you are chaplains. Whatever you do is what a chaplain does. Don't worry about saying the wrong thing. What's important is your presence. Don't ever worry about saying the right thing or the wrong thing. What's important is your presence. That's mainly what I want to tell you today. I'm going to tell it a little bit longer than that, though. (laughs) I'm beginning a series, a short series on phrases from our Healthy Relations Covenant. And one of the phrases in our Healthy Relations Covenant says that we will be present with one another through life's sorrows and life's joys. Present with one another. That is harder than it sounds. Pima Chodron talked about how it's not a one-time thing. You don't become present, and then that's it. You're present forever. But you all have had experiences, I think, where you've been listened to by someone who is really present with you. And when you've been listened to by somebody who's looking over your shoulder at the next person who's going to come in, or somebody who's looking at their watch or thinking about the next thing they're going to say, which is the most common, or as soon as you say something that's going on in your life, they immediately say, oh, that reminds me of something in my life. Let me tell you about that. Now, what I'm saying is there, what I want to say is there are different ways of listening. And what I'm talking about today is the neurotypical way of listening. Some people are not neurotypical, and they listen in a whole different way. Um, And I'll touch on it probably, but what I'm talking about mostly is the majority of people who are mostly neurotypical. So the way that you listen to somebody with presence is that you are sitting with them or walking with them. Your mind is not thinking about what you want to say next. You have conquered your worry about saying the wrong thing or the right thing, which never is conquered, by the way, as you can see. But um, 
you try to put those thoughts aside. Am I saying the right thing? Am I saying the wrong thing? Saying nothing is really good. I was a uh, therapist for many years, and I'm going back to that after I retire from this job. And um, I used to get laryngitis every year pretty regularly in October, and I would have clients say, this was the most helpful session we've ever had. (laughs) Which hurt my feelings a little bit. (laughs) But saying nothing is a lot of times the right thing to do. Being present, being present with someone. Okay, so you're not thinking about what you want to say next. You're not thinking about whether you're going to say the right thing or the wrong thing. You're not going to say, because it will remind you of something that happened in your life. You're not going to say what that is. I'm talking about a very special kind of listening, not just casual conversation where you can interrupt each other, talk over each other, tell each other stories about your life, their lives. Oh, that reminds me of the time I saw a bear in my dumpster. Um, you know, you just, you don't have to, sh- you don't have to share every thought that comes to your mind when you're in this present listening mode, different kinds of modes. Sometimes in my household, we'll say, I need you to listen to me. Um, but I don't need you to actually listen, listen, I just need to tell you something. Or we'll say, I need you to listen to me and I need you to be on my side and not be reasonable. (laughs) When I'm finished, I want you to say, those rats! (laughs) Or, poor thing. Even though you know you told them to say it, it still works. So there are lots of different kinds of listening, but I'm talking about presence listening. So you don't share stories about your own life. You just listen like the rabbit did in the story. Just sit with someone and feel with them. That's what compassion means. We talked about this a little bit last week. I'm sure you remember every word. Where um, in the story, the two little flies that were sent down to revive Inanna, what they did to the mean, angry Erish Kegel lady, they were with her and they felt with her. And when she yelled out in pain, they went, oh, it hurts. And she yelled out in sorrow and they went, oh, it's so sad. Feeling with somebody is compassion. And compassion is feels like love. And people who have not been listened to well, which is most people, because hardly anybody knows how to listen well, and even if they know it intellectually, they don't really do it that often. Um, people who are listened to well, that feels like love. That feels like love. So when we are, when our healthy relations covenant says we want to be present with one another in joys or in sorrows, that is a present listening that we're talking about. And even if the person is not talking, you can be present with them. Even if they're talking about something that's difficult or that you don't agree with or that you want to correct them about. Even if they're not using the right word or even if they called 
uh, magma, lava. It doesn't matter because you're not thinking about the technical differences in what they're trying to say. You're just listening to them. So if someone says, I feel like the whole floor is, is lava or the whole floor is magma, you, you don't go, no, technically, actually, um, <laughs> magma is deep down in the earth and lava is what comes out of volcanoes. You can think it in your head. Because <laughs> we are human after all. You're just listening to them. Okay, so how do you listen? You listen by, by trying to hear the emotion behind the words. Now, some people are better at this than other people. Don't worry if you're not that good at it. Because basically, there, I mean, there are many emotions, like a hundred different words for the different emotions. But basically, it's mad, sad, glad. And even if you're not that good at it, you can think mad, sad, glad. And so when they're talking, you can say, reflecting to them, you sound mad. And then they'll go, I'm not really mad, which is fine. You're not wrong. You're not going to die. I'm not really mad. I'm hurt. I'm more hurt. Women will do this a lot because we're not allowed to be mad, but we're allowed to be hurt. So you go, I'm not mad. I'm hurt. (laughs) That's okay. So then what you say is, Like the flies. Remember the flies. You're hurt. And they'll go, yes. And usually they'll talk more. And then you can say whatever the last couple things they said. See, there are even computer programs that do this, unfortunately. They'll just say the last three words you said. You'll say, I'm so mad at my mom. She never hears me. And the computer will go, she never hears you. And you go, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but if a real human being is doing it, saying the last three words you said, that's a good way to listen. It's a good way to signal to the person you're listening to, I'm listening and I'm hearing you. Or you can ask them a question. You can say, it sounds like your mother doesn't really see you. And they'll say, that's right. And furthermore, And they'll talk some more. Or they'll go, no, she sees me. She just doesn't like what she sees. And then you go. See, your genius is already. (laughs) Listening is both easy and really hard. It gets really hard when the person that's talking to you is talking to you about something you did wrong. But the same techniques still apply. <laughs> oh, it's so hard. When they go, it's like you, you embarrassed me. I, I don't know why you said that in front of the other people. And then you go, I embarrassed you. And they'll go, yes, you did. And then you can just be quiet. Or you can say, what did that feel like? Because you don't want to hear what it felt like. Because it was you that did it. But if you say, what did that feel like? Then they get to tell you what it felt like. And then you get to say, I'm sorry. If you say, I'm sorry too early. This is off off the topic of listening, by the way. If you go, I'm sorry I embarrassed you. And they go, well, it just felt terrible. And you go, I said, I'm sorry. That's called premature apology. 
and it is not a good technique for fighting. (laughs) So you listen by reflecting back the emotion, and you listen sometimes by reflecting back the last phrase they said or the phrase that felt the most important that they said, and that's how you listen to someone. And all that said, your presence is the most important thing. Just your being there. If you don't remember all that, if you don't remember any of the mad, sad, glad, if you don't remember any of the reflecting emotion, if you don't remember any of the saying the last three words that they said together, um, that's fine. You're present, you're being with them, and that feels like love. And so I'm going to do an exercise with us, if you care to. Of course, we're Unitarian Universalists, so you don't have to at all. But um, this is an exercise called RAIN, R-A-I-N. And it was, um, it was discovered or articulated by a, a meditation teacher named Tara Brock, B-R-A-C-H. So you can look it up if you care to. RAIN stands for Recognize... Allow, investigate, nurture. Recognize, allow, investigate, nurture, rain. And if you just Google the rain technique, that'll come up. Tara Brock will come up. So here's how you do it. And this is a way of being present. And this is also a good cure for anxiety or a good treatment for anxiety. It doesn't cure it. Nothing cures anxiety. But it's a good treatment for anxiety. Okay? Just being real. Um, so you're sitting in the pew, and you, I want you just, you don't have to close your eyes, but you may if you want to, and I want you just to breathe deeply, because we're going to actually practice this RAIN technique. You're going to learn it just by practicing it. So get in a comfortable position and breathe. And then put your hand over your heart, if you care to. And just feel the warmth of your hand on your chest for a minute. And think about maybe one feeling that you're feeling. Are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you upset? Are you joyful? Are you concerned? Are you anguished? Are you embarrassed? Are you Any feeling that you might have, just name it. That's the recognize part. Recognize how you're feeling. And now the allow part. Just allow that feeling to be there. Me, I'm feeling anguish over the people in Ukraine. And I don't want to allow myself to feel it because my head says, there's nothing you can do about it. Don't get yourself all upset about it. You're releasing harmful chemicals into your body because of that. You don't have the power to fix this. But the anguish is still there. So now I just allow it to be there. I recognize it and I allow it. And already that feels better because I'm not fighting it so hard. 
And now I investigate. I ask myself, what can I do? Where does this anguish come from? What does it remind me of? When have I been anguished before? I investigate. What does it mean to me to hold on to this anguish? Does it mean I think I'm more powerful than I am, or does it just mean that I'm a human being looking at something terrible? Ask yourself questions about the feeling that you're allowing. And now nurture. Just your hand on your heart is a little bit of nurture. Just thinking the thought, I'm a good person, I'm doing pretty much the best I can do, is nurture. For me and my anguish, I picture myself packing my wheelchair up onto a plane and going to Mariupol, trying to get my wheelchair off the plane, needing more help than, <laughs> than the people who are trying to get out, wheeling my little self down the street and getting hit by a bullet or a mortar, and I think, boy, that did a lot of good. My anguish shrinks a little as I nurture myself with a funny picture of myself trying to go to Ukraine. And then all my angels and guides and God telling me, you better just add to the joy in the world by staying here and enjoying your life rather than trying to mitigate that particular sorrow. And so just... You're welcome to come back to this room if you've been meditating. And I want you to know that's the rain meditation. That was just a short version of it. And it's a way of being present when you recognize what you're feeling. You feel your feet on the floor and you feel your body in the chair and you feel the air on your face. You're in touch with reality. And you're in touch with your inner and your outer reality. It helps with anxiety sometimes. So being present with one another in times of joy and in times of sorrow. I'm so happy for you. I'm so sad with you. It's emotional work. It costs something to be present with people who are feeling big feelings. But that's what we are called to do. That's community. Compassion. That's what we're supposed to do with one another. We're called to that by our spirituality, by our religion.
Please join me as we say the words for extinguishing the chalice together. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Sing with me if you care to the words of Holly Near. I am open and I am willing for to feel hopeless. For to feel hopeless would be so strange, would be so strange. It dishonors, it dishonors those who go before us, those who go before us. So lift us up, so lift us up to the light of change, to the light of change. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.